All right, here we go. Um, one of the things that we have done as a church staff here at Horizons um, for a few years now is a Christmas office decorating competition. A Christmas office decorating competition. I think it started one year when Pastor Jason got a Christmas village, set it up on top of his desk, and was like, everybody needs this Christmas spirit. And so um, we all did a little, um, but it was really the next year that it took off because Pastor Jason offered us a prize, which also meant bragging rights. So it was Christmas competition, office decorating competition. And that year, I took icicle lights and strung them from the ceiling of my office. I took garland, strung it from the ceiling of my office. Really, every little nook and cranny that I could find, I tried to turn into Christmas. And I uh, got a five-foot Santa, set it on a chair in my office, and went all out. And uh, the competition was fierce. Everybody was going all in. One of the offices um, decorated, like the movie Elf, um, with Will Ferrell, complete with like spaghetti and candy on the spaghetti and syrup next to the spaghetti. And I knew that my chances um, were not guaranteed, but I barely squeaked out a win in the first Christmas competition, which was a problem the next year because I wanted to win again. I, the bar was set at that point. Um, but the same person who I thought was going to beat me with the Elf movie decorated their office with a floor-to-ceiling um, floor gingerbread house. And I, my creativity was like, there is no way to win against this. It, this gingerbread house had a wall that um, went up. There was a doorway to get in back to the desk. And then when you sat at the desk, you could wave at people as they came in through a little window. There were peppermints all around it. There was a um, can, there were these life-size candy canes, snow on the windowsills and on the roof and lining the walkway. I was like, I have zero chance of winning this competition. And so as days went by and I still had nothing, the only thing I could think to do um, was take this little bottle of stink bomb fluid um, from my house and put it in the gingerbread house the day that the judges came to judge the competition. And it ended up smelling up the whole office hallway. And even though I came up with a decent decoration, um, I still was not even close. And I think the fact that I smelled up the whole office corridor when people not even from Horizons were coming to judge the competition knocked me down even a few more notches. And I did not win the second competition of the office decorating uh, party. So uh, today we're talking about pride and humility. That's probably a terrible example of that to start out with, but we'll see a little more how Jesus would do it today. We're talking about loving like Jesus. This is our last week of the series. We're talking about loving like Jesus and how to do it. Frankly, I want to love more like Jesus, and I know you probably do too, even if you're not a church person. Even if you're not a church person, there's something inside of you that just wants to love um, people a little better, to have a more loving marriage, to have more loving friendships, even people that you consider enemies or people that consider you enemies. We all want a little more love in all those relationships. And each week we've been emphasizing something that you already know, and that is none of us have arrived yet, right? None of us really have loving like Jesus completely figured out. We know it's important though because the stakes are so high, right? 
The stakes are so high. All of us intuitively know that our actions and even our intentions can have impact for generations. And so, we've been talking about how loving like Jesus um, involves five things, right? Number one, it involves being more mindful of the people around us. It involves being more approachable so people can come to us. It involves being more graceful, something we all know we need that we also need to extend to others. It involves being bold. And today, we're talking about how it also involves being self-giving. If you've been reading along in Les Parrott's book, um, Love Like That, I know our life group has been enjoying that. I hope yours has too. Um, this stat stuck out to me from that. It says, it's from the New York Times Magazine. It says, 17% of people say that they are selfish themselves, but 60% say that most other people are selfish most of the time. So, while today's topic might not be for you, at least it's for most of the other people in the room, right? But if we're all being honest, we all need to talk about this as well. Actually, um, we all took a pretest as a church. If you, if you filled out um, the pretest for love like that, we, um, over 100 of you did, we ranked um, self-giving as our second lowest. Mindfulness and self-giving as a congregation were the two things that we felt like we could most improve. So, here's the big idea for today. Humility is not putting yourself down, but lifting others up. There's two passages we're going to unpack today. The first is one of the most incredible examples of self-giving that you'll find. Um, it's an example and illustration that Jesus gives us and John records in the 13th chapter. And then the second passage actually gives us a pretty clear definition of what humility is. So, um, let's get started. This first passage is just moments, hours, before Jesus goes to die on the cross for us. John 13, 1 says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved like his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. We get a clear picture right away that Jesus is all about loving others and also that he has a pretty clear understanding since he understands all that he is going to die just hours later on the cross. And final hours bring final words. You want to use the time you have left to impact those closest to you. There's, an America, or there's a, a singer and actor named David Cassidy from the Partridge family. His last words were, so much wasted time, which is surely a statement of regret and of challenge for us to live for the things that matter. Last words can lead us into a deeper relationship, deeper understanding of life, and challenge us to navigate life wisely. And I believe Jesus' words here are no different. His friends, his companions, are gathered with him for one final supper. At this point, his public ministry is over. 
He's saving this last teaching just for those closest to him, his disciples. He talks about his love for them and how it continues to the end. Picking up in John 13, 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. We're reminded here that all power and all authority belong to Jesus, right? He is God. Jesus, um, even in earlier recordings in the book of John, said, Jesus called God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Or another place, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. So, the God of all creation, who spoke all things into existence, is equal with Jesus. And it's with this importance, Jesus carrying this importance, that what's about to happen next is so shocking. The example that Jesus is about to portray is so stark. Picking up in verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You've probably heard this passage before, right? Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Um, I know every time it comes up that we're going to teach this at a camp or in children's ministry or youth ministry, feels like in planning, someone always has the idea, let's do a demonstration of this where we wash each other's feet. And I'm always the guy that's like, I would rather not have anyone else touch my feet, and I would rather not touch anyone else's feet, right? I'm always like, uh, what if we taught this a different way? Um, but it was probably even worse back then. It probably would have even been a worse situation in ancient Israel where you maybe know that they traveled around in sandals, on dirt roads. They'd eat meals on the floor. And so it was really common to wash feet before a shared meal for hygiene reasons, right? They'd wash, wash feet before a shared meal. But when Jesus did this, he was doing the work of the lowest in society. The disciples were stunned. Even though they hadn't understood the fullness of Jesus' identity up to this point, they knew that this act was below him. This was certainly below him. And it was foreshadowing of what was about to happen on the cross a few hours later. This self-giving attitude that Jesus demonstrated was in direct contrast to what the disciples had known up to this point, right? At this point, the disciples were still arguing about who was the greatest among them and who would get to sit on Jesus' left and who would get to sit on Jesus' right. Picking up in verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter clearly did not have any idea what Jesus was doing, right? Jesus even says that right here. He says, you don't know what I am doing. 
And the implication here is there's something more to what Jesus is doing than just the hygiene issue, right? It's more than just the hygiene issue. And Peter doesn't get it yet, but soon he will. Here's another indication um, that Peter still isn't quite understanding in verse 8. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Peter loved Jesus, no doubt, right? That's why I like that he goes all in here. He says, wash all of me, Jesus. Like, do this, let's do this all. But he's clearly still missing the significance of the moment, right? Peter didn't need to be washed again in a spiritual sense. Salvation is through sanctification and justification. And in that sense, he was already covered. But Peter and the disciples did need only this temporary cleansing. Picking up in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly, rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What the disciples had just witnessed here in Jesus' demonstration was to be repeated over and over and over again, right? Don't just talk about servanthood and don't just talk about humility. Actually do it. And this would make the Christian movement distinct as it went forward, right? The church would obviously still need reminders over and over again to take the focus off of ourselves and put the focus onto others because all of us naturally put the focus onto ourselves. The church would need reminders but this demonstration that Jesus would give would change the world. There's another verse we're going to look at that Paul writes in Philippians. He writes it to a, it's a letter that he writes to a church that he planted. And if the words in this verse seem kind of familiar to what Jesus had just taught, it's probably because Paul knew some of the same people who had witnessed in the room what Jesus had demonstrated through washing of feet. He probably knew some of those same people and so when he reminded the church that he planted to keep their focus on this, it's probably because of that. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, it gives us a good reminder of how we can keep humility in front of us. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look out not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I'm going to read a little bit more. I didn't put it on the slide, so you can stay on this slide. 
It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Right? This reminder to the church is exactly what Jesus taught. And so we're going to take three things from this to remind each of us to focus our, our attention and our love on others instead of ourselves. And number one is just this. It's just don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. We all know that kids will go to all extremes to not share, right? We have a 15-month-old, and we haven't seen a lot of this yet, but we're starting to see the earliest signs, right? They'll hide their toys, They'll lie, they'll leave the room, they'll fight. You get the idea. Selfish, there's selfishness, but it's in all of us, right? Even when we grow up, we're all still pretty selfish. And selfishness is egotism. And it's always destructive, and it's always disruptive. I rarely say always, but in this case it applies. It's always destructive, and it's always disruptive. In this verse, um, it also says the word vain conceit, which is only used here in the New Testament. This is the only place it's used. Um, the King James Version translates it as vain glory. Vain glory. And so while selfishness talks about all of us trying to get things for ourselves, vain conceit or vain glory talks about the why we do that. We do that for our own glory, right? We want the focus to be on us. And the root issue here is pride. Pride is what makes us independent from God, which is a really appealing feeling to think that we can do it all on our own. But it's also a little bit dishonest if we're being honest. You might have heard others say, it's amazing what can be accomplished when we're not concerned with who gets the credit. Here's idea number two that we're going to take from Paul's words in Philippians, and that's regard others as more important than yourself. Regard others as more important than yourself. The word humility used in, the, uh, in Paul's words uh, in the Greek was apparently coined by the uh, writers of the New Testament because up to this point, it wasn't used anywhere else in ancient writings. The adjective form of this um, word had been used um, in other Greek writings to describe the mentality of a slave. It was a term of mockery, not a virtue. But God commends humility. He chooses humble people to do his work. He hears the prayers of the downcast and gives grace to the lowly. Paul defines humility as regarding one another as more important than yourself. We would probably say Paul was one of the greatest Christians to ever live, right? He was one of the greatest Christians in the time since Jesus till now. If you had to pick great Christians, Paul was definitely it. But what did Paul say about himself? There's two things I want to point out. He said, I am the least of the apostles who am not fit to be called an apostle. And he said, Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. And because of what we know about ourselves, we should probably adopt the same attitude of us. 
and then watch as that attitude changes how we view other people around us. Here's the third idea to take home today. Don't look out for only your own interests. Don't look out for only your own interests. We live in a society where most people care about themselves, only themselves, most of the time. We're told to love ourselves and focus on ourselves. But that only pours gasoline on the fire of human pride, right? Christians aren't only to regard our own goals in what we do. We're supposed to be passionately part of other people's goals, helping them and supporting them. A lot of conflict will arise when people are focused on only their piece of the pie instead of the whole picture. And so one of the best examples of this um, that I've heard is um, a story of a 36-year-old woman who was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Her doctor said she should spend her last days enjoying herself on the beach. But a second doctor offered her hope of living two to four years, but with grueling side effects of chemotherapy and radiation. So she wrote these words to her three small children that I want to read to you. I've chosen to try to survive for you. This has some horrible costs, including pain, loss of my good humor, and moods I won't be able to control. But I must try this. If only on the outside chance, I might be able to live one minute longer. And that minute could be the one where you need me when no one else will do. For this, I intend to struggle tooth and nail, so help me God. Jesus would go on from washing the disciples' feet to dying on the cross for the disciples just hours later. Dying on the cross for us just hours later. And while other kings had servants and people who served them, Jesus was the king who came to reverse the order of things. Because of his teaching, first-generation Christians refused to leverage their power and their resources for themselves. They would almost always leverage their power and their resources for others. And while, like Paul showed us, the church would need regular reminders to shift the focus from ourselves to others, while we need regular reminders of that, when we could get this idea right, the church could not be stopped. As Jesus predicted, the gates of Hades could not stop it. So, here's our reminder in the year 2021 from uh, Pastor Andy Stanley. He says it like this. He says, the church looks more like Christ when we are giving away rather than demanding our way. When the church demands our way, we abandon our distinctive. But when we humble ourselves, the world has never been the same. By the way, throughout this series, we started a gift card drive that many of you participated in. You took the focus off of yourselves in a hard season and did something that maybe felt small for others. And because of your generosity, 
we were able to collect 222 gift cards to give to the staff and teachers at Zeman Elementary, the staff at Wincrest Assisted Living. And because you went above and beyond, um, we were able to add an additional school that we had not planned to give gift cards and encouragement to all their teachers and staff. So thank you. Thank you for taking the focus off of yourself, putting the focus onto others. Because when we can keep this as our distinctive, the world will never be the same. So let's keep loving like that. God, we take our focus um, off of ourselves even now, and we put it to you. Um, in these moments where it's so easy to feel like we need more, like we're running on empty, we have nothing left to give, God, give us the reminder of everything we're blessed with. Give us the eyes to see others who we can serve. God, today I just pray for other churches right now that are meeting this morning, that you're filling their leaders um, with strong messages about you, God, that you're feel, filling their people with hope in such a hard year for churches everywhere. Um, we just pray for the congregation members, for um, the leaders of other churches here in Lincoln and around the world. God, that you would give them whatever they need. And if we can be used, show us how we can serve. We pray for others in our neighborhood that you let us drive a little bit slower, let us see them a little bit differently, let us love them a little bit more. God, none of us are perfect at this. We'll probably get it wrong a lot more times before we get it right. But we seek to love others the way that you do. Help us do that in the days and weeks and hours to come. Thank you most of all for your grace, for loving us more than we ever deserve. Amen.